Hello everybody and welcome to the Glory Glory podcast with me, Kel Quinn, and joining me today is a special guest, it's Jay Marty from Stafford Paddock, great to have you on the show Jay. No, it's a pleasure to be on Kyle, you know, I spoke to you a little while ago, yeah, it's good to good to come on here and have a little chat with yourself. Yeah, there's obviously uh, a lot going on at the club at the moment, even though we haven't played for, for, for two weeks and it'll be two and a half weeks before we play again. Um. Yeah, I was really, uh, I really am a big fan of uh, Stafford Paddock. I really enjoy your 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 um, content. It's uh, quite humorous at times. You know, it's it's not always serious. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's safe to say. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Um. I understand you were a, a journalist, but but before you you started with Stafford Paddock, is that right? Yeah, that's right. I did. Um, I was a bit late start. I mean, I worked in a warehouse till I was in my sort of early to mid twenties. Then I went back to college, finished a, a college course, got into uni, did a journalism degree, and then from there, I went into journalism straight away. As soon as I left uni, I've been doing work placements in Manchester, and uh, went into radio. Became a radio journalist first as a freelancer, and then working for my local radio station. So at first, I was in Lancashire, and then I was in Manchester. But yeah, I was a journalist for for about ten years, and. Um, I covered not just sport, I covered news as well. So it was anything local news like Manchester, Greater Manchester, Lancashire. Um, but I did cover a little bit of sport as well. So I did a lot of the press conferences, obviously when Fergie was there, uh, when David Moyes was there, um, when Van Gaal was there, when Jose was there. I also did City as well, when Mancini, Pellegrini um, and uh, Pep were, were, were all there. So yeah, it was, it was um, a big part of, of, of my sort of career really is being a journalist and it's something I still sort of try and take in towards Shetford Paddock when we do a little bit of news stuff as well which is quite handy Yeah, you famously got a high five from Jose Mourinho is that right? <laughs> yes I did, I put that in my bio the other day for a laugh on Twitter, um, basically what happened was there was a press conference where the first thing with Jose is, you've got to remember and this is the same with all managers, the same with Fergie the same with Pep Guardiola, the same with Jurgen Klopp and I've done, pep, I've done um, press conferences with all those managers and it's they're always happy when they're winning. If they're winning, they're, things are going all right. You get a nice vibe from them. Don't get me wrong, they can still snap and be angry when they're, they're not winning. But if things are going okay, then you tend to get like, you know, sort of the, 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 the quite charming. And Jose was no different. People remember Jose as this angry, divisive, sort of agitated character. And he wasn't like that for the first sort of year, especially at United. He had his moments where he could be quite difficult and prickly. But he was, he was pretty easy going a lot of it. And there was one press conference where he came in and he'd had a pretty drastic haircut. He'd had his hair almost, almost all shaved off. It was like a number three all over. And um, basically in the press conference, I was radio, what, uh, just to explain in case anyone doesn't know, you go into the press conference, obviously before the manager gets there, you put your device on the desk, your recording device for me, radio, so obviously just to get the audio. And then you go and sit down with your notepad and paper. And just I just make any notes of any main talking points that they say. So I think, all oh, right, that's a clip I can use. And, you know, so I just know what's what's going on. So Jose comes in. He starts talking and he says, um, and I've just got him a pad and everything out. And he said, someone mentioned, James Cooper from Sky, someone mentioned, oh, you've had a bit of a haircut. And he's like, yeah, it's dead short, but it'll grow back for me. Um, and then he, he looked at me, but I wasn't looking at him. And he said, although... So for some of you, you know, it won't grow back or whatever, or your hair can't grow or whatever. He made a bit of a joke at me and everyone looked at me and laughed. But I didn't notice because I've been writing 
So he said this about as a little bit of a as a little bit of a joke about the fact I've got literally no hair, you know, I'm bald anyway, but I shave it off. And then at the end of the press conference, because he knew he he made a joke at, at my expense, he came round from the desk and he came over to me. And again, don't forget, I didn't know any of this. The joke had been aimed at me. So I was still writing. I was just writing up the rest of my notes in the press conference. And I just sort of saw a shadow in front of me as I was writing. And I looked up and there's Jose looking over me. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, what have I done? And he just started laughing. Um, and he said, are you, uh, are you jealous or something? And I just said, obviously. And then he just started firing me and walked off. And then the, the mirror, I think it was Dave McConnell in the, in the uh, McDonald's, sorry, in the mirror, did a little story about it. Um, so yeah, it, it came in the story. So as he was leaving, he high fived the ball journalist sitting in the front row, <laughs> which was me. <laughs> yeah, it was a it's an interesting story. Um, and and you got to meet uh, Sir Alex as well last year, was not right? Yeah, uh, that again came through radio. Where one of my former colleagues in the radio said, "Listen, we've got an opportunity to interview Sir Alex Ferguson at the premiere of his documentary. If you fancy it, so I went down there and um, got on the red carpet." And I only got a few minutes with him, but it was a few minutes I'll never forget. Asked him, if you ever watched Stratford Paddock, you know we're obsessed with the 1991 Cup Winners Cup final. So I asked him about that. Asked him about, um, the, obviously, we were going to the Europa League final. Asked him a little bit about that. And just to be in the, you know, obviously, you've only got a few minutes with him. I was just asking him about the sort of, the, the, the when he was going through those, the, the sort of the dark times and, and turning it around. And he said about, what amazed me is he said about in the, the FA Cup game against Nottingham Forest in the 1990 season where we went on to win the FA Cup and he was under pressure that season and everyone said that if we'd have lost that game in the third round against Forest, he could have got sacked, although the certain people from the board have denied that. And what amazed me about that is he said the team for that day, he named the players that were injured for that game against Forest. Now, this is a man who's had a brain hemorrhage. He's in his 70s. That game was 32 years ago. And he was naming basically every player that was injured. And he went through them all. He could remember the team. He could remember he wasn't available. This just sort of encyclopedic knowledge and that memory recall, which was pretty impressive. And it was a relief as well, because I didn't know, you know, I heard that we know that Fergie had been ill and you worried, is he going to be okay? Has he got back to full health? And he was, he was in, he was in great form, uh, great spirits. And it was just great to spend a few minutes with him because, you know, he's, he's obviously the greatest manager of all time and someone that's made my life immeasurably better and he was in good spirits and he was having a bit of a laugh as well so yeah it was just a great moment and one I'll never forget Yeah it's, it'd be pretty special for any any United fan um, he can probably he can probably remember 1991 better than he can remember yesterday I would say <laughs> Yeah presumably yeah. I mean his, his, his knowledge around all the football games I'm a bit like that to be honest with you I can't remember what I had for dinner <laughs> but I can remember a game from 15 years ago do you know what I mean it's, one, it's funny how the memory works sometimes isn't it especially when it comes to football yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Um, okay, the, um, before we continue, please everybody subscribe to the channel. Uh, give us a thumbs up on the video and comment your thoughts down below. Okay, the first topic we're going to come on to is is the big one that everyone's talking about at the moment. Um, we're waiting on an announcement. We don't know if it's, it could be tomorrow. It, it could be three weeks' time. We just don't know. Um, mm -hmm. It seems as if uh, the two kind of friends contenders, the, the, the Spanish managers, the Sevilla manager, whose name I'm not good at pronouncing, to be honest, um, Luis Enrique, both appear to have ruled themselves out. Uh, and that leaves the, the two people who everybody thought were the front runners anyway, um, Eric Ten Hag and Pochettino. Um, it seems as if Ten Hag is a strong bookies favourite, but there seems to be a fear among the fans that uh, the board want to find a, a way to make Pochettino the manager, they know that he's not the popular choice, but um, 
this we know that since 2016, basically, the board have been big fans of Pochettino. Um, and the longer goes on, the more you think that um, they're trying to find a way um, to, to get him in the hot seat because um, they know it's not going to be popular if they announce it now. Maybe they're going to try some some spin, you know, to, to try and make it sound like a like a good appointment. But um, Ten Hag is the favourite, like I say, but um, Pochettino um, only, only seems like less than 20% of United fans seem to be in favour of him coming in, according to the, the recent polls. Um, but so... Do you think it's kind of nailed on that Ten Hag will get the job, or do you still think there, there is a, a possibility, like many people fear, that Pochettino w- will be given the job? Um, I think if you've interviewed someone, they've always got a possibility of getting a job. And from what we gather, you know, the club have, have interviewed him, um, have interviewed Pochettino, have interviewed Ten Hag and Pochettino, or at least plans to interview Pochettino. I know from all reports, there's some reports that Ten Hag's been interviewed, or lots of reports, sorry, that Ten Hag's been interviewed. There's some reports that Pochettino has as well. Um, and he's on this shortlist. So you would imagine that the, there is an interest there. You mentioned United have been linked with him going back to 2016. He's got supporters in the board. So I always think that if he's on a list and he's getting interviewed, he's got a chance, especially if he goes into that interview and he absolutely smashes it. And he says, you know, that's the things that they want to hear and he lays out his plans and they think, okay, this could work for us. Now, like most fans from, from the polls and everything seen, I would prefer Eric Ten Hag. The reason I, I would prefer Ten Hag is because I feel with Pochettino, there's a ceiling there. I just don't see him getting past the likes of Jurgen Klopp, the Pep Guardiola's, the Thomas Tuchel's. I just don't see that happening. I don't think he's got it in him to just to do that, especially when he's going to take over a team that is so far behind the likes of Liverpool and City and to a lesser degree Chelsea as well. I just don't know if he has. Now, well, I just don't think he has, sorry. Now, with Ten Hag... I don't know. Maybe he can. Now, it's a big maybe, but there's a possibility for me there. And that's the difference for me with Pochettino and Ten Hag. With Pochettino, I think it's almost guaranteed that I, I can't see us winning a title with him. I just can't. I just don't see him having what it takes to get above those people I've mentioned and those teams I mentioned. With Ten Hag, I think there's a little bit of uncertainty. Maybe he can. So that's why I, I prefer Ten Hag. And I also think with Ten Hag, another thing that appeals to me is he lost a lot of players. He lost... De Ligt. He lost the Etch. He lost Van der Beek, of course. He lost De Jong. He rebuilt. He re- rebuilt his team and went again and won a title again. And that is something to look at and go, okay, then. This guy, not only has he built a great team, he's lost his key players and built another great team. Yes, there's still question marks about Ten Hag. Let's not just paint him as this perfect manager without any flaws. Very disappointing that he got knocked out to Benfica in the Champions League this season after they'd done so well in the groups. Obviously, he went out against Spurs under Pochettino when Spurs were managed by Pochettino to, to that hat-trick from Lucas Moura. That was disappointing because I always thought Ajax had a, ta- had a chance of winning it that season and obviously I'd rather they win it than, than Liverpool. And I think they would have had a better game against Liverpool in that final. But it's a slight disappointment. But overall, his managerial record at Ajax has been fantastic. He took over a team that hadn't won a title for four years and they've won a title every time he's been, every season he's been there. I think they've won a double every season he's been there. So you can't fault that. Very good manager. Pochettino, though, he's still in the mix and he's not really the one I want, but like most Manchester United fans, I feel that if he does become the manager, you'll get behind him. Yeah, well, 100% we'll get behind him, but I mean, he's struggling to handle egos at PSG. Man United is the last place you need to go to if that's the case, considering the, the amount of egos that, that we obviously have in the dressing room. Um, 
yeah, Ten Hag, um, I think, has a higher ceiling, potentially. He's probably a greater risk, but I think he has potentially a higher ceiling, whereas we know that Pochettino is, is a nearly man. He's, he's never, he's got the Champions League final, he's finished second with Spurs, but he never won a trophy with Spurs. We've seen him finish second in a one-horse race last season in, in France. Um, yeah, and then, obviously, another capitulation in, in the Champions League. I know it's been happening at PSG before he arrived, but he hasn't done anything to to arrest that. Um, so, yeah, I would go with Ten Hag uh, if, if the choice is between the two. Um, my, the question I'm going to put to you is, if we could choose any manager in the world, and obviously we're going to have to exclude Klopp and Guardiola because that's never, ever going to happen now. So apart from them too, them too, if you could choose any manager in the world to come to United this summer, who would it be? That's a good question. Um, this summer, if I could choose anyone, I mean, maybe Luis Enrique, if, he, if I could choose anyone. I don't think that'll happen though. He's not going to leave Spain. He's not going to do that before World Cup, certainly. So I think of the ones that could potentially come. I wouldn't mind if Thomas Tuchel. I'm not going to lie to you. I think he's won the Champions League. He's had one season in the Premier League, well, season and a half in the Premier League to get acclimatised to that. He, you know, he could he could do something better in the in the Premier League given a bit more longevity and given a, you know some more resources. I know he's obviously at Chelsea, you know, he's actually short of cash until recently anyway. But I feel like he could do a job at Manchester United. And I think he's a, a guy that comes into a team and he stamps his authority in it. You mentioned there about egos and that Pochettino maybe can't handle egos. I don't think Tuchel suffers fools gladly. I think he will come in there and he does seem to sort of not be afraid to mix it up a little bit. And I feel that he would be a manager that you could put some confidence in of, of him going up against the likes of Klopp, against the likes of Guardiola and, and finding a way to, to, to get results. I know it's not quite happened for him in the Premier League this season, Chelsea. They've been a little bit disappointing after a very good start. But Tuchel's a manager that, you know, he has had success at Dortmund. Okay, he got sacked at PSG, but he had some success there. And he's obviously won the Champions League at Chelsea as well. So, for me, I think Tuchel would be a, a good manager for Manchester United. Doesn't really look like it's going to happen. At one point, I thought it might do. Who knows in the future, though? Who knows what, what football holds? You know, anything can happen. And I don't think Chelsea's going to keep him there for very long because Chelsea get rid of their manager every few years. And, you know, obviously United are going to get a new manager in in the meantime. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But who knows, maybe in five or six years, we might see Thomas Tuchel one day at Manchester United. But if I could have anyone now, out of anyone, I think he'd be a, he'd, he'd be a good shout for me. Yeah, I, I think so. But I think we're going to probably appoint a manager before he's available. Yeah. Um, but you could argue that Luis Enrique is probably the most qualified out of everyone that's been linked. It just It's just not plausible with the World Cup being in the winter this year. Um. I mean, he won the treble with Barcelona. I mean, I mean that gives him the the, the credentials to be an Ed manager, um, and probably makes him less of a risk than Ten Hag. But it's it would be a, an exciting you know opportunity for for Ten Hag to to to, to step up in, in class. Um, now, no, like people are saying, it needs to be someone with Premier League experience. No, it doesn't. You no, know, Klopp and Guardiola never had Premier League experience before the game. Um, Tuchel as well and Mourinho never had Premier League experience Alex Ferguson never had Premier League experience so all that there is just complete nonsense um, and, and the thing that I like about Ten Hag is he's the type of manager that Bayern or City would would appoint next um, and we often tend to get managers who are kind of on the way down rather than on the way up so he, he potentially could be the next big thing in terms of uh, managers in, in European football so 
I would like to see us take the gamble. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you speak a lot of sense there, definitely. Um, you know, you, especially when you say about managers not having experience. I think when you look at those managers you mentioned, even Fergie at United was given a bit of time. Klopp at Liverpool was given time. Don't forget Klopp lost, what was it, three finals at Liverpool? Finished, I think, one season, didn't he finish about eighth or some or sixth? Um, didn't really bother the title challenge for a few years when he was there. Even Pep in his first year didn't win anything. Finished, what was it, third? So it wasn't a very successful season, but they were given a bit of time. Obviously, they did they didn't that right with the record or what have you. And then the second season, the third season, the fourth season, then they were title challengers or title winners. So I think if we do get in someone like Ten Hag, we've just got, excuse me, temper our expectations a little bit. He's not going to come in the summer if he does come in. And we're going to win the Premier League next year. It's not going to happen. I think we need to know that. And what might happen is it might take him two or three seasons, but we've got to give him that. It might take him two or three seasons to get a real title challenge going. Fair enough, if that's what it takes, because we've got to remember how far behind we are. We are a good few years behind the likes of City and Liverpool. That isn't going to change overnight. And the fact of the matter is, he's got a lot of changes to make. If you look at the squad at Manchester United, you look at the players that you need to move on, you look at the players that are moving on anyway. The likes of Cavani, the likes of Jesse Lingard, the likes probably of Paul Pogba as well. We don't know what's happening with certain other players like Andy Marshall, Mason Greenwood, those types of players. So there's going to be a big sort of overhaul of the Manchester United squad that's going to take place. So that's going to set you back a little bit as well, just when that transitional period continues. So yeah, I agree with what you said there about, you know, it doesn't isn't necessarily about experience. Sometimes when you've got a, a bright young manager or even just a manager who's very good at his job, you have to give them a bit of time and a bit of patience. And that's what other clubs have done and they've had success. And that's what Manchester United have done in the past as well with Sir Alex Ferguson. And this is what we might need to do now. Yeah, I think even if we finish fifth next season or sixth, I think we should just persist with them. Um, don't don't sack manager just because they don't don't finish in the Champions League spots. Um, we know that he's he's got great qualities as a coach, so let's just persist with him for a few years and see how it goes. And you never know, it, it could turn out really well. Um, good intentions in, in the comments says Zidane, but I really don't think that that's going to happen. I think he's made it known that He's not really interested in, in Manjun in the Premier League. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think so. We were linked with uh, Zinedine Zidane, weren't we, when uh, things were going wrong for Jose Mourinho. And there was reports that Zidane had called up Jose Mourinho. I don't know how accurate these reports are, but there were stories doing the rounds that he'd actually spoken to Jose and said, listen, I'm not interested in the United job. Don't worry about me taking your job. But I don't want to come into the Premier League. Would Zidane come into Manchester United with the, the, the structure we've got? I don't know. I don't know if he'd be able to work under those conditions. I don't know if he'd want to do that. There's, there's a sort of an idea that he's waiting to take over at France or that maybe he'll go to PSG, something like that. So we'd have to wait and see. But I, I'd i be very, very surprised if Zinedine Zidane came in as Manchester United manager. Not that I wouldn't mind that. I think Zidane coming in, everyone would be buzzing at Zinedine Zidane. You know, you'd be very excited about that. But is it the right setup for him? Is he going to come in and turn his team around? I don't know. And I, I think, like you said, the, the main reason you're not going to get Zidane at United is he, he doesn't want to come in. Yeah, I I, I think at United, um, not only do you need to be a top-quality coach, but you also need to be a big personality. You can handle the egos. Um, we don't know if Ten Hag is both of, both of those things. We know he's a, he's a great coach, but uh, does he have the the big personality that commands respect uh, from big egos in the dressing room. We'll, we'll wait and see. Um, there seems to be a real 
play a power problem at United. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons why I don't want Pozzettino because the the players are saying that they want Pozzettino to be manager apparently, um, and that's and that's exactly why we shouldn't appoint him because uh, there's been far too much of you know players getting manager sacked at United in, in recent seasons, and um, we, we've seen like some Mourinho wanting to get rid of players and them and the board keeping the player rather than the manager, and that needs to stop. You know, the, the culture is all wrong at the club, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, there's there's been so many stories and rumours and reports about player power, as you say, over the last year or so, going back even further a few years, that you have to think there's some weight to it. Normally, you know, some stories you go, oh, really, is that the case? Or is that, you know, is that just the press sort of making things up or one or two players who might be unhappy and it's being exaggerated? But it does seem to be an actual thing. And listen... I'm not. I'm not against players having a preference. The, the human beings. They're gonna have a manager that they think. You know what? I. Uh, you know. I, I've worked with this manager, or this manager looks like he's a good one for me. But I don't think that should be leading the conversation or leading the way you go for a next manager. I don't think it should just be. Oh, who do the players prefer? I think you have to look at the, the records of managers and the the, the the plans they've got in place and whether they they can challenge the very top players, uh, very top managers themselves. I just feel that. All this unrest, all these rumours, all these leaks and everything else we're hearing about the old draft dressing room, as you mentioned earlier, whoever comes in has to be strong. He has to be able to command respect. He has to be able to stamp his authority in that dressing room. Just get everyone sort of listening to what he's got to say, doing as he says. Because at the minute, it just seems like it's, you know, it's a little bit like the, the, the tail wagging the dog. Yeah, it's not good for any club uh, when they find themselves in that situation. Um there seems to be a, a slight change uh, at board level, which seems a bit promising, which is it's very, very rare we can say that because we've been hearing um, from from the media that um, Doran Fletcher and John Murta are you know, taking the interview process themselves without any input from Richard Arnold and Matt Judge. Um, if that is indeed true, that would definitely be a welcome development. Yeah, that's football men making football decisions, which... Makes sense to me, and it's something that's been lacking at Old Trafford since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. You've had bankers deciding who's going to be the next manager, what the next signing is going to be, what you know, who's going to, whether you're going to be allowed to sell or sign a player. I mean, it's it's a madness, and it's why we've fallen so far behind, despite the facts. And listen, I hate the Glazers, and they've been nothing but parasites since they arrived at the club. But that doesn't change the fact we have wasted money as well. We've spent money that we've wasted. And the reason we've wasted it is because we've not had a coherent strategy or plan. We've not had a proper structure in place. And we've not had football people making football decisions. We've had bankers and, you know, hedge fund managers being in charge of, of the football inside of things and overseeing the manager and looking over his shoulder and giving him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And that's got to stop. Darren Fletcher and John Murtagh. I don't know a lot about John Murtagh. I know he comes from a sort of football background to a certain degree. Darren Fletcher is obviously, you know, he's been at United since he was a kid. I know he left for a bit, but we know that he's a football person. So you think them being involved rather than the likes of Richard Arnold and Matt Judge, as you just mentioned, makes a lot more sense. It's not, it doesn't mean it's a formula for success. That's not a guarantee, but it's certainly a step in the right direction and something that should have been happening in 2013. We should have had people like that in place then rather than wasting, more or less wasting eight years or nine years kicking around and wasting money because we didn't have the right structure in place. Yeah, in terms of football directors, we really should be getting the best in class, but these two are in the rules now and 
and hopefully it works out for them. We might as well give them a chance. Um, and it's certainly progress on 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 bankers and accountants, you know, making football decisions. That's for sure. Um, so I just want to talk about a, a few topical things, and and one of the things that came up last night uh, was the booing of Harry Maguire by England fans. Um, now it's form for United has been absolutely dreadful, as we know. Um, and you can understand him being booed. You know, by United fans, but that largely hasn't really happened. Um, I do, one thing I just don't understand is why England fans are booing because he's been brilliant for England. He's a, he was a key part of them getting to the the Euros final and the World Cup semis. And um, so I don't understand why England fans are booing him unless it's a protest that uh, he was in the squad in the first place. Because you know, on merit, he doesn't deserve to be picked by Gareth Southgate given his form this season, but. Uh, given how he's played for England, I don't think he deserves to be booed. No, I mean, listen, Gareth Southgate explained the reason that Harry Maguire's in the England team, and I think it makes sense. I think that you have to remember, Harry Maguire has been a mainstay of Gareth Southgate's teams. Ever since Gareth Southgate came in as England manager, he's had Harry Maguire in his team, and Harry Maguire's played very well for him, and he's been part of what has been one of the most successful England teams ever. We've got to a World Cup semi-final and a Euros final, how many other England teams have done that? None. And there's been England teams, I'd argue, you've had a better pool of players than what Gareth Southgate's got right now. You know, you look at the so-called golden generation when you have the likes of um, sort of Rooney, Terry, Rio, um, Gerard, Lampard. These were all players that everyone thought, OK, this is going to carry us to success. And did we, get, did we even get to a semi-final? I don't think we did, did we? We got to a quarters, I think was the best we did. So... I can understand like, why Gareth Southgate persists with him because not only has Harry Maguire played well and been part of a successful team, he's excelled. He was in the team in the tournament for the Euros. He scored his penalty in the Euros final. He was man of the match against Germany. He played very well in the World Cup when we got to the semis. You know, He scored a goal along the way and was, was lauded as one of the best defenders in the world at the time. And he was part of the reason that United went out and spent 80 million quid on him. And also, what you have to remember as an international manager, if you keep changing your team based on who's playing well for their club, you're never going to have a consistent team. You're always just going to have the flavour of the month coming in and going, all right, well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, the kid from Crystal Palace, whose name, he's, he's playing well this week. I know he's had a, uh, he's had a cap, but OK, we'll put Tamori in because he's doing well at Milan. He's the centre-back this week. And then we're going to have Stones has done well, so we'll keep Stones in. And actually, Stones has had a bit of a shocker, and Maguire's just played really well. So we'll bring Maguire back in. Oh, no, no, Maguire's been, been, been terrible this week. Let's go and, and bring, bring someone else in. Let's have a look at who else can bring it. You get nowhere. You have to have a sort of a system where you go, OK, this guy works in my system. He plays well in my system, and he's always done a job for his, for his country. So I understand why Gareth Southgate did that. If it was based on club form, Harry Maguire wouldn't be in the team, but it isn't just, just based on club form. And also, regardless of that, booing a player on your own team, booing a player, as you mentioned, who's played for England and excelled for England, is just ridiculous. But I said this earlier on one of the videos we were shooting on Paddock. A lot of what England fans do doesn't make any sense to me. You know, David Beckham got sent off, and I'm old enough to remember it, in 98. Very harshly sent off, in my opinion, for flicking his leg out at Diego Simeone. Gets a harsh red card gets death threats, gets burning effigies, hanging effigies from lampposts, gets a dartboard put on the back of a national newspaper with throw darts at David Beckham's face, the dart, his face in the middle of a dartboard, just gets absolutely lambasted by the press, fans, everyone. Phil Neville gives away a penalty in the Euros in 2000. Complete accident, obviously. Costs us the game, gets death threats. Cristiano Ronaldo, playing for Portugal, winks 
when Ray, Wayne Rooney's been sent off. And again, people, I think, vandalise his house. England fans, for me, have just lost the plot. And they have this attitude towards players that play for them that's just bizarre. We saw it in the Euros. Marcus Rashford, who fed millions of kids during the summer, an absolute legend for what he'd done. The whole country was sort of praising him for, for his actions in you know, getting the government to do two U-turns and making sure that kids that were starving were getting food that they needed. He misses a penalty. He gets abused. Someone's just been convicted of the racial abuse of him as well. Some of that abuse that he got online was racial. I think a man's been sentenced today and sent down for, I can't remember the term, but he's been uh, he's had a custodial sentence. Jaden Sancho, another one, he gets abused. We've seen it with um, was it, uh, Gomez, the kid from Liverpool, got abused and booed. Sterling's had it in the past. It's stupid. It's beyond stupid. And I'm not a massive England fan. I don't particularly, you know, I can sort of stomach it if England don't do well. It hurts me much more when United fail. So I'm not going to be too sort of caught up about what goes on with England. But I think that those fans that were booing Harry Maguire do need to take a look at themselves. And I'll just I'll end on this before we move on to something else. People will go, well, hang on a minute. United fans were jeering him against Atletico Madrid. You know, when he came off, he got like ironic cheers or whatever you want to call it. And I think that those two things are completely different. For starters, Harry Maguire's had pretty much constant support in the ground from United fans. They've always got behind him. A little bit, sort of maybe, you know, there was a minority who got frustrated with what happened against Atletico on the back of some performances that they've seen for Harry Maguire for Manchester United. It hasn't been a great season for Harry Maguire at Manchester United. Now, I'm not saying that justifies giving him any grief or whatever, but it hasn't. For England, though, he's not put a foot wrong and you're booing him just for getting picked. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, United fans would have more of an excuse to boo him than England fans it just makes zero sense for to be a player who's been magnificent for them because they're a separate team to United and he's always been consistent for them um, but if I'm being honest um, I, I wouldn't be sad to see Harry Maguire being sold this summer because I think he's been absolutely appalling and I don't think like I'm, it's been said by absolutely everyone at this point that he, he shouldn't be the captain of Manchester United um, and I don't think he's going to be part of a of a successful team. I think he thrives in a back three, and um, the cover for his lack of lack of pace. But when he's playing in the back four, that's playing a high line, he's always going to be exposed. So I don't think he's ever going to really fit in at United. If I'm if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think you know we we spoke to Carl Anker from the Athletic. Um, we had him on the channel a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, and he made a lot of sense when he said, if you look at the way United play, you listen, David De Gea, great shot stopper. Is he the type of goalkeeper that you want when you you know you're trying to play out from the back or you're trying to play a high line? No, he's not. He doesn't come out of his area. He doesn't really command his box. His distribution is a bit questionable. Then you've got Harry Maguire, a, a defender who, if he is you know going to play a high line, needs a keeper behind him who is a bit more confident and also needs someone in front of him who can offer that bit of protection. Is Scott McTominay or Fred giving him the protection he needs? Probably not. Then you look in front of those two. They probably need a midfielder who keeps possession quite well and can bring them into the game a bit more. Bruno Fernandes, and I love Bruno Fernandes, but he is someone who likes to take risks all the time. And then in front of him, he's someone who probably needs a, an attacker who can defend from the front and who can do the high press if you're going to press high. Is Cristiano Ronaldo that guy? No. So throughout your team, you've just got one player after another who's not doing the ideal job for the guy either in front or behind him. And it doesn't make any sense if United are going to play that way or this way with those types of players. Something needs to change. And I don't know whether it's a change of players, change of system. But it's not quite working because you've almost got the wrong players suited to the type of system, sorry, that you're trying to implement. 
Well, it's a mismatch of players that have been signed by about five or six different managers, and yeah, that's the that's the problem. Um, Luke Shaw um, caused quite a stare um, after the previous England game where he where he scored. Um, he seemed to indicate that he feels wanted at England and, and not quite as wanted at Man United, and, and that's probably down to the fact that um, Tellez has been playing the majority of the games recently. But you can't win like that to the media when you're not being picked, and he's not being picked on merit. Um, so again, it's not really a good look, is it? No, it's not, and it's annoyed me a little bit because he tried to sort of act like he didn't mean it as a dig at Manchester United. But if you say if you start mentioning the word feeling loved here and things like that, then people are going to immediately take from that that you mean you're not getting a love at your club because that's the only other team that you play for. And I think that Luke Shaw, he's not stupid. He knew when he said that how it would be conceived and what he was on about. And I think it's a little bit annoying because players like Luke Shaw, for example, and you can maybe count him granted, they've been dropped at any time from Manchester United. If Luke Shaw lost his place because of his performances. It's not a vendetta. It's not someone you know out to get him. His performances during the earlier part of the season were at times abysmal. I look at that performance against Liverpool where we lost 5-0. I'm sorry to bring it up. But that is one of the worst performances I've ever seen from Manchester United defender. It was shockingly bad. He just allowed Mo Salah the free reign of the Old Trafford pitch and he absolutely smashed it, goal after goal after goal. And Luke Shaw was at fault for so many of them. And I think you can't just put in performances like that and then start wondering why you're not getting picked, especially when a new manager comes in and he looks like, I've got to turn this around, I've got to get results. I've got a defender, a left-back here, who's willing to put performances, who can put performances in. He's also very good at dead ball situations as well, as we saw against Spurs where he put an inch-perfect cross in for uh, Cristiano Ronaldo for his, his headed goal. So I'm going to look at other options. So for Luke Shaw to go, oh, this isn't fair, or I'm not feeling the love, sorry. It's just ridiculous. And also, you talk about feeling the love at England. Luke Shaw was getting no love for England for years. He's been in the Premier League now for eight years, I think, Luke Shaw, and he's only got 20 England caps. So let's not pretend this is a player who's been in England regular for all his professional career. He hasn't. He's only recently become one of Gareth Southgate's preferred choices. So I just think the whole thing was a little bit contradictory. And I just feel that, yeah, you know, you can enjoy your time with England without firing shots at Manchester United. Yeah, there's a sense of kind of self-entitlement from some of these United players. Um, not, not to go in on Rashford, which I, I hate to do, but there was a briefing from his camp as well that he wasn't happy that he had started two of the last 11 games. But that was des- that was deserved. He, he, he was out of the team because he wasn't playing well enough. And again, it's another player complaining that he isn't starting and he's, think- he's thinking about his future. But he, like Jaden Sancho wasn't playing that much under Solskjaer at the start of the season, despite being Solskjaer's marquee signing. And he there was no crying or complaining to the press when, when he was playing. He just got his head down, worked hard, and, and worked his way into the team. Yeah, it's really it's, it's, it was a bit disappointing for Marcus. That to be honest with you, I'm a big Marcus Rashford fan, but his performances were woeful at times, and I take no pleasure in saying that they were painful. You could feel the crowd getting on his back. You could feel the sense of from someone who loves Marcus Rashford, I was almost at a sort of knot in my stomach when he was getting the ball because he was so bad. And you think you can't keep putting in those performances and then question it when you don't get picked. And the okay, there's a school of thought, we'll just let him play his way out of, of, of this bad form. But Ralph Ragnick's got to win football matches. He can't keep relying on players that are letting him down and not performing at levels that you need to win these games. And that was what was happening with Marcus Rashford. Some of them, some of the, 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 the games, he, the performances he's putting in, he was just giving the ball away constantly. He just looked, he looks like he was lost. So this idea that, 
okay, I'm not being picked, so I'm going to start briefing the press, or I'm going to start letting it know that I'm looking maybe to get a move. It's just, it's abhorrent to me, it really is. And I think Marcus Rashford, like Luke Shaw, needs to remember one thing. If they play to the best of their abilities, they're in the team. They're in the team. Tellers isn't getting near that team if Luke Shaw's on fire. Mark, Anthony Langer, and we all like Anthony Langer, but he does not get near the United starting eleven if Marcus Rashford is playing as well as Marcus Rashford can do. The fact of the matter is, both Shaw and Rashford just haven't been anywhere near good enough this season. And they need to look at themselves rather than looking at the manager or anyone else. Yeah, Rashford's kind of given me the impression of, of someone that maybe there's some off-the-field issues going on this season. Could that be the case? I mean, I haven't got a clue. There's nothing I know for a fact. I know that you've got a player that had the operation that he was, you know, he obviously needed, that came back, scored a few goals when he came back. Look, I won't say back to his best, but looks effective. And then has gone completely off the boil and he's playing as bad as I've ever seen him play. Maybe there is something going on off the pitch. Maybe he's been affected by the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left. This was a player who, you know, played almost every game under Ole. He was, he was sort of one of Ole's main men. Maybe that's got to him a little bit. Maybe he's not, not having a pre-season has affected him in the sense that he hasn't quite got to the, the match sharpness. He's, he's been playing catch-up. I don't know. But all I know is that a player that should be physically almost at his peak, who experience-wise now has got, what is it, six Premier League seasons under him? You'd think, right, this is when he's got the, the, the time for him to almost kick on and get to a... A 30-goal season, which sounds a bit ridiculous when he's only on five goals this season. But you look at it, you know, he scored 20 goals in his last two seasons, each of his last two seasons. The next step up would be, yeah, can he can he reach the 30-goal mark? Why not? He's got all the ability in the world, Marcus Rashford, but for whatever reason, it's just not happening for him. I hope he can sort himself out. I've not given up on him yet. I just feel that he has to honestly be honest in your own analysis. Be honest in your own self-criticism. Don't just look at others. Go, look, okay, am I playing well enough? to merit a starting position in this team. And if not, what do I need to do to turn it around? And hopefully Marcus Rashford can turn it around because when Marcus Rashford is playing as well as he can do, he's one of the best attackers in the world. Yeah, nobody should think they have a divine right to, to, to start every game. Um, Paul Pogba has done yet another interview while away, away on international duty. Probably the last time that we'll be talking about this. Um on, on this occasion, he said that basically the season's over for Man United. Like considering that we've got, you know, we need to get into the top four. Obviously, he doesn't care about that. Um, but we've got some big games, in, including um, away at Anfield, and we, we've got to play Chelsea um, and away to Arsenal. You know, our season isn't over. Okay, it's over in the sense that we we're not going to win any trophies. But again, it's not a good look that a player doing an interview while he's away in national duty and, and saying something like that. No, and, you know, the whole Paul Pogba thing. I, listen, I like Paul Pogba. I think he's a very talented player. Yes, there's question marks about his consistency and I have question marks about his injury record, but I do rate him. It's just he it gets tiring listening to this every time he goes away, listening to these interviews where, you know, he might mention Zidane or Real Madrid or whatever or not being happy or, or just not, you know, the season's over or whatever it is. It does get tiring and I, I personally think Paul Pogba's going to go in the summer. I think we'll miss him as a player. I definitely think that. But in terms of these comments that he gives in interviews, I won't miss that at all. It just gets a bit of a distraction. You think, go away with your international team, enjoy yourself, play football for your country, do well for your country and come back. Don't go away and start talking about Manchester United season being over because it's just it just achieves nothing. It doesn't help anyone. Yeah, I don't think he's wanted to be there for about three or four years, to be honest. Um, perhaps he should have he should have left maybe in 2019. Um 
I, I, I'm not even sure he really wanted to, to, to come back to United. I think his preference was was, was Real Madrid, but Mina Raiola was getting paid more um, for Pogba to transfer to United, so that's probably why it happened. Um, and it just hasn't been a success. I mean, can you can you imagine, can you remember an occasion where he played four good games in a row? He's, he's been very inconsistent in, in the last six years. Yeah, I mean, this is a the criticism that he often faces and there is question marks about his consistency. For me, the, the issue with Paul Pogba isn't just his consistency. I just feel in some big games, they need to see more from him because he's a big, big player. He's one of the best midfielders in the world. He's a World Cup winner. He was an £89 million, pound, I think, player for a reason. And you want to see him turn up in the big games. Now, in his first season, I remember I was there in Stockholm, he did turn up in the champ- in the Europa League final. He did. But you look, you look at the Europa League final last season, he had an awful game. And it's like, OK, so some of his teammates did. But he's a player I want to see stepping up in those games. And I, I remember there was the, the, the sort of the bit of uh, the clip, sorry, of, you know, Eddie Cavani running past him to win the ball back. You think, come on, Paul, you've got to, you know, step up. You're the one who could win us this game. And he just didn't. And I think those are the players that sort of that stand out from the rest of the, the, the squad and the team. Those are the ones that are, are truly world-class. And we've seen Paul Popper do it. He steps up in a World Cup final for Pete's sake. You know, against Croatia, he scored, he played well. France absolutely dominated that game, thanks in no small measure to Paul Pogba's performance. You know, when Golo Kante went off after the hour marks, it wasn't down to him. It's down to Paul Pogba. Yet we've not seen him do it in, in, in many games, in many big games for Manchester United recently. And that's the most disappointing thing, I think, is that, you know, you want your big players to turn up in your big games and he hasn't done it enough for me. Yeah, in terms of Paul Pogba and big games, the only one that really stands out for me is the derby at the Etihad in 2018. But we just haven't seen that often enough. So just going to move on to some positivity now. Um, Bruno Fernandes seems like he's going to sign a new five-year contract and double his wages. And um, Okay, he's come in for some criticism this season, but overall, in the last kind of two and a half years, he, he's been our best player um, and fully deserving of, of a new contract. Um, and he scored two, two, two good goals for Portugal there. Um, and maybe that's always nice to see. You want to see a player come back from internationals in, in good form. So uh, are you happy to see Bruno get a new contract? Yeah, I'm a big Bruno Fernandes fan, me. I am. I think that he's got his faults. Let's not kid ourselves. There's certain big games he doesn't turn up in. Um, sometimes he tries a little bit too hard, which I never thought I'd say about anyone, especially not in this current Manchester United team. But sometimes you think you don't need to be shooting from 40 yards out. You don't need to be trying a 70-yard pass time and time again. You don't need to be running 90 yards to, to make a last a, a tackle that you don't make or berating the referee constantly. But he has been so effective for Manchester United since he's come in. You look at his goals and assists record, and people try and dismiss it. Why? Without those goals and assists, would have been in all sorts of trouble. And no one else was putting him on the table. So we, I'm glad he, he, you know, we, we got him when we did. Um, so... Listen, I think that um, Bruno Fernandes, despite his flaws, deserves the new contracts. I think United, Manchester United, are a better team with Bruno Fernandes in that team and a better squad with him in that squad. And I think that his, his attitude that, while, again, you know, sometimes he argues with the ref too much, he is a winner. He's someone who wants to win. He's, he's mad crazy to win a, a, a trophy. You can see that. He hasn't really won anything, has he? So I think we need to, to keep him. And I don't think the new contract has been offered is anything ridiculous as well because he was on quite low money when he first came here. And even his, I think he got a new deal that didn't make him a, one of the highest earners. He's not up there with the De Gea's and the Poppers of this world. So, yeah, get him signed. Get him signed to a new deal, especially with some of the players we know that are leaving in the summer. Let's just keep hold of Bruno and hopefully next season we can get him some silverware. 
Yeah, I believe he, he scored or assisted 130 goals since the start of the 2019-20 season. And those are phenomenal statistics. Obviously, there's issues with uh, tactical discipline, um, issues like you mentioned where he, he's in the ref's face too much. Um, it's, not a, it's not a good thing because the referee's human and... You know there'll be occasions where he won't he won't give you the rub of the green when you've irritated him. So yeah, um, overall uh, he's been a brilliant signing, but um, yeah, he, he's not flawless like you say. But um, yeah, he 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 is a big player, and uh, hopefully he can he can produce it on a more consistent basis. There, um, this season obviously uh, that hasn't really happened, and and there could be an issue there with him and Ronaldo. Um, maybe both of them wanting the wanting the glory too much, or both of them. Taking up the same positions. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I know it worked last night for Portugal, and it has worked on occasion for United. But um, there's times where I think that the two of them don't excel in, in the same team. Um, have you noticed that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, that's a, a sort of a good point. And listen, you, you, when you've got players like that and who used to being the main men and, and, and used to shining for, for the club and, and wherever they go and being the sort of the focal point, it can be difficult. But I take a little bit of comfort in the fact that, you know, we've seen a hatchet recently from for, for Ronaldo for United. We saw two goals for Portugal for, from Bruno Fernandes. They are that good that you think they could find a way to work together. You do think that will come. And sometimes it might take a little while. And people go, well, they play Portugal together. They don't always play Portugal together. And that's not like every week as well. And now you're looking at it and you're going, okay, you've got Port, uh, you've got, um, you've got. Sorry, I think it just cut out there in a minute. Sorry, you've got um, Bruno Fernandez and um, Cristiano Ronaldo now playing week in week out together. Hopefully, towards the end of the season, we can really see them playing to the best of their abilities because as a partnership, because they are two world class players. I think they are. And I don't use that word very often, but they are. And yeah. If I was up against, you know, I think any defender facing like Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes would be worried. Yeah, definitely. We want to see them to excel in the same team, and we've seen it happen on occasion, but we want to see it more regularly. Um, okay. Um, I just want to finish off by talking about a couple of transfer stories. Obviously, it's early days in terms of transfers, and you know, I mean, you need to get linked to about four hundred players every every summer. Um. But a couple of the names they've been doing the rounds today and in recent days is um, well, the Harry Kane story has come from um, Rob Dawson uh, from ESPN, who's been on the show before, um, and he says that United are exploring the possibility of you know using Anthony Martial as a make weight for Harry Kane. Um, would you be in favour of that? I, I would. I wouldn't mind seeing Harry Kane come to United. I mean, he's probably the best striker in the Premier League. Uh, probably one of the top three best strikers in the world. Um, I mean, Anthony Martial is flattered to deceive in the majority of the seasons that he's played at United. And yeah, that would that, that would be great business in my opinion. It would be great business. Is it going to happen? Mm, is that a bit, you know, listen, that'd be great from Manchester United point of view. If you're if you're Tottenham, you're looking at Anthony Martial, who scored four Premier League goals last season, has gone to Sevilla and done nothing, really. One goal in eight games already turned off some of the Sevilla fans, are you thinking he's going to be a replacement for your greatest, one of your greatest ever goal scorers, one of the most effective strikers in the, on the planet? I'm not so sure. I think that Harry Kane coming to United, OK, it's 29, it's not ideal. But if we were to get him, I don't think anyone would be moaning. He'd be like, you know, he's a guy that just absolutely scores goals constantly. But 
I think that's very, very wishful thinking from a Manchester United point of view. That's like, you know, swapping Anthony Martial. I like Tony M, I do, but he's not had a good couple of seasons. And to try and convince someone to, to give him to give us their best player, and okay, we'll probably chuck a few quid their way as well, but they're going to look at it and go, is Anthony Martial going to come in and get anywhere near the amount of goals that Harry Kane gets? Is Anthony Martial going to get you 30-odd goals a season? Is he going to get you 20 goals a season? I know we did it a few seasons ago for Manchester United, but like I said earlier, last season he got four Premier League goals and two of them were against 10-man Southampton. So, I don't know. I'd love that to happen. Um, I'm not trying to be dismissive of Anthony Martial, but it's not happening for him at United anymore, is it? And he wants to leave, so fair enough. But I just don't see that one getting off the off the ground, to be honest with you. I think that's, that's pie in the sky. Yeah. Um, well, we're allowed to dream, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, 100%. percent i tell you what, maybe we can swap Phil Jones for, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Rudiger at Chelsea, or, or maybe we can, uh, you know, maybe there's a deal where we can get, uh, you know, swap um, Tom Eaton for uh, Alisson. You know, we can try and get all these deals done, but I just don't see it happening at all. And that's not having a dig at any United lads, but it's just, um, it's, it's just, yeah, it just seems unrealistic to me. Yeah, it does sound a wee bit unrealistic, but uh, who knows? You know, stranger things have happened. Um, another name that's been linked to United, and this seems like more like a saying that we'll make if we end up in the Europa League, which is highly likely, and that's um, Tommy Abraham, uh, who's at Roma currently under Mourinho. He's had an excellent season in, in Syria. Uh, Watson scored two goals there in, in, in the Rome derby, um, and he was very impressive. Um of at Chelsea, he was okay. He wasn't brilliant. He's not the type of striker that really stood out at Chelsea, but at Roma, he, he's had a really good season. And would you like to see him maybe have one more brilliant season in Syria before you consider him as a number nine signing, or would you be happy to see him come in this summer? I mean, he's not really someone I'd be like, oh, we've got to go and get Sammy Abraham. I'll be honest with you. And I think the problem is, if he has another good season, his price is going to go up. So I think if we are going to get him. Probably now is is the best time. I just don't know. I, I don't see. We were linked with him when he was at Chelsea, weren't we? And I said he used to come in as a forty million pound. I think he was his price tag was forty million pound striker who isn't necessarily first choice, but he's someone who can be in the squad and come in. Fair enough. Hey, someone say Matter for Haaland. but you know if he's Santa Notch, good lad Santa. Um, it's good Santa, good lad Notch. Um, but yeah. 80, 90 million for Tammy Abraham? Not for me, to be honest with you. He's a decent striker. If he's, if the price had been right, I'd have been okay. Yeah, not too bad. But no. And is he even going to fit in? Ronaldo's here for another season, so I just think that's a bit of a non, non-starter again. Yeah, I mean, if it was at 40 or 50 million, I wouldn't mind, but I wouldn't go as high as 70 or 80 for, for Tammy Abraham. Not no, at this I'm, moment I'm, in time. I'm with you. Um, uh, flights and Planet Earth here says Ten Hag ten trophies. Now there's some very wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that over the course of the next twenty years? Um, maybe, yeah. You never know. You never know. Listen, <laughs> if you'd have said Fergie thirty odd trophies or whatever in 1987, people would have thought you lost the plot, and that's what happened. <laughs> so you just mentioned Ronaldo. There's ten for another season. Do you think Ronaldo will be happy to play in the Europa League or the Conference League? I think he's resigned to that fact that that may happen now. And I think he is going to stay for another season from what we gather. I think he's made his mind up. It's not. I don't think he's going to be happy about it, but I think he'll be on a lot of money. 
he, he probably won't want to leave Manchester United under a cloud of like going back here, coming back here, it completely failing, winning nothing, and not even getting Champions League football. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's just saying those things and he'll leave in the summer if we don't get top four. But I wouldn't be surprised if he did because it may be a case of, you know, okay, he stays and tries to get us a bit of silverware and then he can go out on that sort of high because it is obviously disappointing for him like it's Manchester United that we haven't won anything this season and that we could be in danger of not even getting Champions League football. But I think Ronaldo will want to make sure that he, he doesn't leave, like I say, with a bit of a sour taste in his mouth. Yeah, I think the Champions League is the holy grail for Cristiano Ronaldo, but maybe he's resigned to the fact that at 37, and he's on a reported half a million a week, that no one else in Europe who's capable of winning the Champions League is going to pay him that kind of money or even want him at this stage of his career. So maybe just resigned to the fact of being at United next season, regardless of what competition we're in. Um, but you can, you can, I said earlier in the show that Pogba probably doesn't care where we finish in, in the league this season, but Ronaldo will be desperate for us to finish fourth, uh, I think. Um, okay, I just want to ask you one more thing, and and that is about the, the supposed plans to rebuild Old Trafford. Um, again, I think this is fanciful. Uh, under the Glazer ownership, I really don't see this getting off the ground. Do you? No, I mean, we've had this debate on the channel. I um, I said that I thought that if, you know, if it was on the table, if we can, you know, we have this revamp or this rebuild, I'd actually have a rebuild of Old Trafford. I'm at home in the minority because everyone looks at Old Trafford as being sacred and you can't destroy it and, and demolish it, sorry, and, and rebuild it. But I think it does need rebuilding. I think if you look at it, it's not fit for purpose anymore. It's you know, leaks everywhere. It's very squashed at places. It's just sort of, it's almost falling apart. And I think that we, in terms of the history, you keep your history, even if you get to a new stadium or you build a new stadium, your history comes with you. So I would like to see a, um, a rebuild of Old Trafford. I don't think we will. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it'll happen. I think that we'll we'll just see, you know, a lick of paint and a bit of a, a revamp in parts of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it needs a lot more than that. But like you say, with the Glazers, they're not going to spend a lot of money either. They're not going to do anything like that. So they'll probably, you know, buy a few tins of paint and that'll be your revamp. And even if they did rebuild the stadium, um, I mean, what are they going to do? Take out another five hundred million pound loan? I mean, that's the last thing we want. Exactly. How is it going to work? I mean, you know, there, there maybe there's ways around it. I don't know. It just, it does seem a bit like, yeah, it, it just seems like it's just maybe a bit of a PR stunt. It's like, oh, we're going to do something about the stadium. And everyone's like, oh, okay, then maybe we won't protest or maybe we won't kick off. But yeah, it does seem a little bit far-fetched to me. Um, Santa says again here that Ronaldo knew what he was getting into before he joined us. He knew there's a possibility of us not getting to the Champions League. Do you think that's the case? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think he might have thought that, but he probably thought it's a remote possibility. So, um, yeah, you know, whilst he might have thought that, I do think he um, he probably didn't think it was that likely because we just finished second. We bought Varane, we bought Sancho, and then we buy him. And his ego's that big. He's probably thinking, right, okay, now we've got these players and me. We're going to, you know, we're going to be challenging at the very top. So I think that, yeah, it would have been a little bit of a surprise to him that we're, we're that bad, really. And now it's very much a reality with Arsenal having games in hand on us and us probably having to win nearly every game between now and the end of the season to get into fourth. Um, hopefully we do, but um, I'm, I'm not hopeful on that one. So we'll end it there. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, Jay. No, listen, Kyle, it's been great chatting to you. Really good questions, really good chatting to you. Um, you know, 
great to chat to people as well in the comments, some really good comments. And hopefully, you know, by the end of the season, we'll have something to cheer about, even if it is just getting into the Champions League spots. But, you know, we've been through a lot worse as Manchester United fans. And, and one thing about this club, you know, we do persevere despite our owners. So, yeah, I look forward to, to coming on your channel again and chatting to you again, bro. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've been let down so many times. Every time we get a new manager and make a few signs, we think, right, this is it. This is going to be the start of the good times and it never happens. But we have to believe that the next time is going to be uh, the, the time where it works. Because if you don't have hope as a fan, then, then what's the point? You're right. It's, you have to have hope. And as a United fan, we are, we have been spoiled because of Sir Alex Ferguson. But we've also, you know, surprised a lot of people when they've counted us out. So, yeah, I, I think you have to have a bit of hope because otherwise, what's, what's the point? All, all the minute, all I've got is hope, to be honest with you. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Um, okay, everybody, please subscribe to the channel. Give us a wee like on the video and comment your thoughts down below. Um, I'll have you on the show again sometime, Jay. Definitely, Kyle. Look forward to it.